0: Principal Matters Podcast, episode 334. Hi, friends, this is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. And yes, I have a little bit of a cold, Jen. So I I wondered, I wondered, (laughs) but but I'm here with my co-host, Jen, Dr. Jen Schwanke, the assistant superintendent from Dublin schools and the author of three great books. And She's standing in the room with me. Actually, we're sitting in a Zoom together as she gets to um, engage in questions from listeners. So this is an opportunity for us to address some of the feedback that we've been getting from principals in the field.
1: So I want to acknowledge that you do sound a little bit like you have a cold, but I need you to know that when I was a little girl, I would listen to DJs on the radio. And when they had a cold, I respected.
0: Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, Jen, I just accidentally hit mute on you, not me. So you're going to have to unmute yourself because now I can't hear you. Okay, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) You respected those DJs.
1: I did. I admired them. They were Yes, they were brave and they came to work anyway. So I'm glad you are here to um, do principal matters anyway, in spite of your cold. And you don't sound sick. You just sound like Uh maybe, maybe you need an extra little bit of sleep tonight, but let's dig in. Let's dig into our- our good
0: questions yeah. today. So so I, I, I'm i going to stay on my voice for just a second because last night I was asked to speak at a presentation for a fundraiser for an organization that works with kids in trauma. And so um, I told a story about a, a student in trauma that I had worked with. And, and so without giving the entire story, I'll just say that this was a student who, after a very violent rampage situation, was sitting in my office rocking back and forth and trying to de-escalate and while I was just sitting there with just sitting, you know how you are with kids when they're, you when know, you have those kinds of situations, he eventually started humming. And so I said, Oh, you have a really nice voice. And he was like, Well, my friends tell me I sound like Johnny Cash. And I <laughs> said, and I said, I said, Well, um, what's your favorite song? And he goes, Ring of Fire. And so, <laughs> and so I pushed Ring of Fire on the, recorder, uh, I just opened it up on YouTube. And and so I won't do this for Principal banners listeners, but, but last night I sang the first verse of Ring of Fire to demonstrate how he sounded in my office that day. And of course, the application was that sometimes when you can discover that thing that helps you connect with a kid, or even in his case, when you can slow the rhythm of a really emotional situation down through music, Right. Um it can sometimes help you to figure out what to do next. Right. And so um so this voice actually helped me last night because you know I sounded a little more, more like Johnny Cash. Right. A little bit more.
1: Little. And yeah, any any step closer to Johnny Cash is, is a good step. So, we'll alright.
0: Okay. <laughs> Let's jump into questions. We have a question from an administrator who is um working in a a middle and and high school setting and is looking at the possibility of interviewing for a vice principal opening. Um, But he sent some very honest questions. Um, And I'm not going to read all of them because I want to focus on just one of them, which is student discipline. Um, Because he was saying that as a classroom teacher, he finds, even though he's experienced and he's done this for such a long time, he has found that classroom discipline is still as challenging as ever. And Just like that story I was telling you, there are some situations that are just can be very, very challenging. And so um, some of the examples that he gave were students resisting, um, staying engaged, um, trying to figure out reasons not to come prepared, constantly asking for permission to leave, um, uh, distracting during instruction. So his question was just so honest. What are some of the policies that I can better incorporate in my own classroom management? And then what can I be prepared to tell teachers, when, if I become a vice principal myself, on the ways that they can better support student behavior in their classrooms. And I thought, what, That's a, what an honest question. Um, and so I wanted to start there, Jen. Let's just reflect a little bit on what would we tell a fellow educator who's asking those hard questions in his own practice, but also how he would translate those to his advice for leaders.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's two questions there, right? <laughs> there's a question about discipline and how we're going to proceed with discipline. And I think this is a question we're as- asking as a nation. I really do. I think mm-hmm. maybe even internationally, what what's happening to our students and why is discipline such a um, an impossible problem to solve right now? And then I think the second question is, hey, if I interview for a job as a vice principal, what am I going to tell them if they ask me about discipline? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm going to answer in my, I'm going to talk a little bit about the second question first, and then we'll see, well, if, if you agree, or if we want to have a gentle debate about that. But you know, when I, I have a lot of people reach out to me and say, I'm applying for a principal job or I'm applying for the assistant principal job. What should I say when they ask me questions? And my answer is, well, what, 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 what do you want to say? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What is your answer? Because Jen Schwanke cannot give you the answer that will give you the job. The, you will get the job if you're the right fit for the job Mm -hmm. and you will be the right fit for the job. If you answer the question, the way they want you to answer it, but you shouldn't answer it the way you think they want you to answer it because you're just guessing first of all, but second of all, because then you're not being your authentic self. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I understand the urge to have tips to go into an interview or to have the right answers, but the, the right answers just depend, you know, it depends on the school and the, and the community and the students and the teachers and the panel and the, and the people that you report to. And so to, to this listener, I would say, what do you believe about discipline? How can you be both confident and vulnerable? And by that, I mean, you know, handling discipline does require confidence and it requires a, a willingness to put the student first and, and, and you know, implement those policies, et cetera. But it also, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say, I don't know what to do about discipline in some situations. Okay. But what I do when I don't know is I reach out to the team. I ask a colleague. I dig further into the question that led to the behavior. And um, in, in that sense, I think discipline, isn't, is an impossible question to answer. And it's okay to say that.
0: I agree. And I, um I was just thinking about so many thoughts that I had when I read this question. And some of those thoughts came back to my time practicing as a teacher, and some of them came back to my time practicing as an administrator. But I want to first talk about my time practicing as a teacher, because um, just to give some context, um, there is no one out there who can honestly say that you felt like you perfected the art of teaching or classroom management for that fact. And so even in my best years, even in my best years, and I'll, I'll use secondary as an example. Let's say that I had six or seven class periods in a day. And so I'm seeing 120 kids and I've got three preps. You, you know how those, I'm explaining that secondary perspective. And I know the elementary world, you're often dealing with the same children all day long and the same number of preps, just the same kids. But what I've discovered is that every group of children is different than the other group of children. Every single year is a new adventure in getting to know who they are and recognizing the ver- ver- the various relationships in that room. Every single year, there's somebody, there's a personality that you've met for the first time, even though you think you've met them all, you meet a personality that you're like, this is a personality I've not met before. And so you have to just ad- Acknowledge that every situation is a new adventure. It's a new journey. It's a new environment, and there is no one-size-fits-all. Now, having said that, there are there are um, practices that can help provide consistency, help provide predictability, and help provide students with a place where they feel that things are stable. And safe for learning. So if you are if 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 you f- confront all of these <clears throat> variations in discipline and all of the ups and downs of that happen in your attitude is well I'm just going to wing it. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna die. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to be <laughs> overly dramatic. You're 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 gonna you you're you are going that plane is gonna crash. Um in your in your instructional time with kids. So what I would like to say to this listener and to my old self as a teacher is stay true to the procedures and the processes and the stability that, you know, needs to be created in the classroom so that kids feel safe and they have expectations and you train them on those expectations, but then give yourself the grace to recognize that even when you are doing all the right things, there's still going to be challenges. And there's still, I'll give you an example. I remember one year in particular that I had, um, uh, I'm gonna say six preps. I've forgotten how many because I've done so many different preps. I, I had six preps, and I preps one through one, two, three, four, and five were like like my dream part. It's like every every hour I had great rapport with students. They followed procedure, we got things done. But my last hour of the day, I it didn't it didn't matter how talented I was, gifted and experienced I was as a teacher. It was a battle every single day for me to get through. And the, and here's what the battle was, Jen. It was the, the battle was for me to stay consistent and patient and firm, even in the face of kids whose personalities or characters were so different that I just had to accept the fact that, um, that this class is going to take longer for me to wrap my arms around than these other ones do. And so, um, My wife used to also caution me, especially when I was teaching for many years, ninth graders, she would always say to me uh, when I would come home in the fall, September, October, November, and, and she would, by about November, she would say, Will, can I just pause tonight's whining and say <laughs> that every year you come home talking about how immature your freshmen are and how much you're having to <laughs> work with them and how patient you're having to be. And then something happens after Christmas and you start liking them again. You start like loving them. She's like, don't you think maybe you ought to just like figure that out now? And it's so funny, Jen, because I I'm so glad she's so honest with me because I just needed somebody to remind me, that these are the dynamics of working with kids. Um, now, I'm not saying that to in any way at all diminish the the severity or the um, increase or the difficulty of discipline situations, but I just wanna give some perspective.
1: Yes, it's very helpful. I used to tease, I worked with the team and I teased them all the time. I said, every year you tell me this class is the most immature I've ever taught. This class, their behaviors are out of control. These parents are more problematic than any parents we have ever had. And I got to the point where I could tease them about it and it became this, this inside joke. And, um, you know, it's just helpful to remember that we always feel, remember, we take in one grade level. And so let's say I'm a fifth grade teacher. We take in fourth graders and we send sixth graders. And mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle, they're fifth graders, right? So for you, oh. you brought you brought in eighth graders, you sent sophomores, but somewhere in the middle they were the, the freshmen. So it's just it's helpful to remember. And and in terms of this question and and what would I do when asked in an interview about discipline? It really is tied to the question about well, what do I do about discipline in my classroom? Mm-hmm. And I what I hear from this listener is someone who doesn't know what to say. He feels like there's a right answer out there, but I would argue there's not about discipline because every kid's so different and every situation so different and the antecedents are so different. And so it, it requires both a commitment to standardization and consistency and a willingness to be flexible and differentiate.
0: Yeah. And, and, and so what I would say to this person too, is that <clears throat> even though there is not going to be a right answer because every kid is different. Every school is different. Every culture is different. Every every year changes some things the, the way you need to, to, to respond and communicate. There are principles that can be practiced, though, that help create more consistent environments for student learning. And so those are the things that I would focus on. What are the principles that help create those? And Jen, I don't know if you have a go-to resource. I feel sometimes like I'm so dated because I was discipled through, you know, Harry Wong's materials, but it's, it was my go-to as a young teacher. And what I've discovered is, and this is going to sound really weird for those of you that aren't familiar with Harry Wong, his, his lessons on classroom management, procedures, policies, student behavior, all that stuff was built around the idea that, um, that when you can design a classroom in a way where students know in advance, when they come in, what to expect how to behave, and they've practiced those procedures with you together, and you've established with them that the word you used earlier, the, the confidence that you know what you're doing, but you also have appropriate responses when people need to be redirected. All those things are things that you practice just as much as you are skilled in your subject content. And so that's the the science of teaching and the art, the science and art, I guess I can use both words, is understanding that those those are the protocols and the um, that are happening in any good classroom, and they apply in every situation where learning is happening. They apply when you run a faculty meeting. They apply when you're leading PD. They apply when you're standing in a parent teacher conference. They it's all this it's all the same um, expect those same, so those principles when applied give you a better opportunity for engagement, learning, and understanding. But I don't know how to put that in a formula, Jen. I don't know how to, you know take those principles and say therefore do this because you know prescribing for people what that looks like can be dangerous. It can be helpful to have some examples. but it can also be dangerous to try to prescribe for everyone do this in this situation and you'll get this this result.
1: Well, sure. Yeah, it's impossible to, ha- to standardize something that's unstandardizable. Absolutely. But, you know, I think the question comes back to core beliefs and core practices for a school. What is it that we believe about behavior and what is, um, what is acceptable and what's not? I had this conversation with the principal actually working on the East Coast and he said, you know, I, I've, I don't know what we believe. Mm-hmm. and i said that well that's your question right there that's what you have to answer and i believe and i i don't want to offend anyone and i certainly don't want will to get any hate mail but i think we have to have to agree with what we mean when we say pbis or trauma informed practices or mm-hmm. restorative discipline because I think I've said before on the podcast, if I line up a thousand educators and say, define PBIS to me, mm-hmm. they will give me a thousand different answers mm-hmm. because it's um, discipline, how we manage discipline in our classroom and how we interact with kids that are struggling with behavior choices is a very personal, it's a relationship, right? And in some ways it's an intimate relationship, what we have between our students and, and mm-hmm. ourselves. And so it's very personal and people get really um, deeply affected When a child has a discipline issue and it's not handled the way they would want to, or the way they would. But as, as we all know, there's so many details, there's so much nuance to making a decision about how we handle discipline. So I think it has to be a school wide Decision and conversation. I think principals or assistant principals need to call together teams, and, and and to say maybe what is our no? What is it? What are the things that are not going to be tolerated here? And when we say not tolerated, what do we mean? How how are we going to make sure that they still have access to the supports and the emotional um, you know sp- supports that they need? How can we still be there for a student but say you know what this is going to this is not acceptable? And then how do we identify what we are going to work through and how we're going to work through them and who's going to work through them and where the parent piece is and where the paperwork piece is. So these are very large conversations. They're fundamental core belief conversations. And but they have to be, they have to happen. Because again, every school is different and every community is different in in what students bring every day to school and how we respond to it
0: support for principal matters comes from summer pops math workbooks for my listeners in elementary and middle schools how are your students practicing their math skills over the summer recently i was asked to look over the summer pops series so with the help of my wife some of you know a former middle school math teacher we looked over the workbooks ourselves and she loved them We found Summer Pops to be an engaging workbook that would provide students with math practice over the summer that is easy to use and content rich. But you don't have to take my word for it. Check them out for yourself. Go to summerpopsworkbooks.com to request your own sample workbooks. If you're looking for a cost-effective and research-based strategy to improve student math skills, consider joining other high-performing schools and offering Summer Pops to your students review it for yourself, or pass it along to your math department. Either way, spring is right around the corner. So request your sample workbook at summerpopsworkbooks.com today. You will not be disappointed. Support for Principal Matters comes from Peer Driven PD. Did you know that 86% of educators agree that we need more full-time classroom teachers leading professional development? Of course, there's one big problem. Teachers are often too busy teaching their students to lead PD. Well, Peer Driven PD finds some of the best teachers in the country, films them sharing their tips and techniques that really work in real classrooms, and they use this content in online courses that your teachers can access from anywhere at any time. Visit peerdrivenpd.com to check it out. I've gotten to know Mike, the founder of Peer Driven PD. He's actually been on the podcast. Check out episode. 328. I've had access to his content and it's the real deal. So if you want your teachers to love their PD and to learn strategies that are tested and proven by their peers in real classrooms, visit Peer Driven PD to request a quote today. Be sure to let them know that Principal Matters sent you and Michael include a package of complimentary resources specifically for admins. That's PeerDrivenPD.com. Well, I want to stay here for a little bit longer, Jen. <clears throat> and you, it's so funny because you and I—we have at least three questions that we could work through. And we're probably only going to get <laughs> through one, like always. Um, but I, I do want to just pause also to differentiate. Um, I mean, principal matters, listeners. If you want to go back and like dig in my archives, I've got posts on just like tips for idea, you know, for principles and discipline. But that's not what we're doing today. Uh, what Jen and I are trying to do here is is to Address the nuances in these kinds of questions. And so I, I want to stay here for just a little bit longer, Jen, because um, part of the, one of the questions you also have to ask yourself in what Jen just said, all of these different kinds of ways that we define what discipline is and the programs that we adapt, is um, do we really understand the context of the students who are standing or sitting in front of us? And um Several years ago, I came across content by um, Dr. Barb Sorrells, and she's got a book called Reaching and Teaching Children Exposed um, to Trauma. And Jen, you know that um, trauma has become one of those areas that we have become more and more aware of as educators because the, 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 the increasing number of children experiencing um, traumatic events just continues to grow. Uh, across the US. And it has, and I, I'm not here to talk about cause and effect. It just is the reality that many of our children are coming to school in a state of fright <clears throat> or neglect or or agitation or stress that's either induced by their external conditions that they live in, or maybe even the emotional conditions that they live in. And a child who is afraid or hurt cannot learn unless he or she first feels safe. And so we can talk about like the the processes that are involved in helping establish safe and consistent environments for learning. But it's important for us as educators to also understand that sometimes you've got kids in front of you who aren't prepared. They're not even self-regulated enough yet to be able to step into learning. And so I'm just gonna take it full circle. I told that story at the beginning with my Johnny Cash thing to be funny. But I, I wanna I'm gonna bring that story back now because when you've got a student in 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 this in a high school setting like I was dealing with that, that day as a high school principal, um, who is so unregulated that he can't control his behavior, that he's tearing things off walls, that he's turning over furniture, then there's something going on there that is way deeper than, um, simply saying, well, you broke rule a here's, and here's the consequence. And I'm not, and I'm saying this because even in my own experience as an experienced administrator, that my lack of understanding sometimes as to what was going on behind the behavior made it sometimes difficult for me to know what to do about the behavior. And so, um, so we, we, we are always constantly learning, and I, I just think it is very important. So if, if Principal managers, listeners, if you want a good resource for especially in early childhood, understanding some of the um, science behind what trauma does to learning. But also what I love about Dr. Barb Sorrels is she also gives lots of strategies she's used working with children to help reset them and help them recalibrate and help them help teachers to know how to use the science of learning with them. To teach them how to learn, and so I, I didn't plan to go there in this answer, but I just think it—it's it, something that needs to be said because we're also dealing with some kinds of behaviors now that I think are, um, that are the result sometimes of things that are so far beyond our control that we that we need to back up a little bit before we move forward.
1: And I'm glad you used the word control there because, um, in many of these trauma situations, the child isn't in control the situation is not controllable the the people or the situations that are preceding the trauma are not controllable and so i think it's a mistake to try to control right that that's not that's mm-hmm. that's the word that that sometimes tricks us up because as administrators we control a lot of things right mm-hmm. many times a child's behavior they don't even know the trauma that's inducing it. They don't, you know, they they I've worked with many a child who after an event, they said, I I don't know why I did that, Mrs. Schwanke. Mm-hmm. I don't. And and you know, they're little people, they're learning, and and many adults don't even know the mm-hmm. why behind the behaviors that they put out into the world. So, you know, we're talking about a very slippery and difficult to define situation. But what I I want to just reiterate is to get to the core belief of how a school is going to approach discipline and to try to come up with common definitions for what we mean when we say we're going to support um, students in trauma we're going to put restorative practices in place, what do we mean by that, and do we have a common definition. If we do, it's a lot easier because we're doing this together, as opposed to every teacher, every classroom, every administrator having a different definition and implementing their understanding of that definition in different ways.
0: Okay. I like that. Now there's the um there's always two different voices in my head. There's the I voice, know me
1: too. I well, know. <laughs> be, well, because
0: because you know, I'm a former language arts teacher who was married to a math teacher. So I always hear the voice of my of my wife in my other ear who's the math teacher who would just say well that sounds so thoughtful but just can you just tell me what i'm supposed to be doing you know like and so that's the part too where i just want to i want to go there for a minute for any listeners that may be tracking with us but also feeling a little bit of anxiety of like well yeah but give me some some things i need to do so let me just let me go here by saying to um anyone who's having that that thought and, and you, you may not like what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, because this is what I would say to myself. Um, first, begin with yourself and ask yourself these questions. Am I stepping into learning situations completely prepared? Have I made sure that my mindset is clear on the goals that I want to reach and that I have prepared in advance the materials, the activities, the, the procedures, and the lessons that are going to help me reach those goals. And then have I strategized my time so that students can have both engagement and time for reflection and ways to demonstrate their knowledge, and that I'm prepared to guide them through that as well. Now, Jen, I know that just touches the tip of the iceberg, but I always have to first, before I talk about controlling other people's behavior, the the first person I've got to figure out that I'm controlling is me. How well prepared am I when I'm stepping into a situation so that I'm creating the kind of environment where things don't seem rushed or harried or out or stressed because my preparation and my attitude, even though I'm not a perfect human and I get stressed too, but but it does make a difference in the ability that I'm gonna to have to create a conducive learning environment.
1: Right, right. Exactly. And then next would be the people around me that are helping support me in this work, what do they, what would they say if asked those questions? Mm-hmm. And are we aligned at all? I think I hear a lot of uh, discontent in school staffs when there's just not consistency mm-hmm. and and there's not a universal approach to tricky situations like this, but I, I'm with your wife, you know, I don't want any podcast listeners to walk away and say, yeah, but what do I do? I mean, that all sounded great, but Mm -hmm. what do I do? Mm -hmm. And I think that that question is very difficult for us to answer because we're not in the situation. We're not in the room. We're not in the school. We don't live in the community that, that our listeners live in, but it is it. it, I do like to remember what discipline means. Discipline means Mm -hmm. to teach. And we teach the disciple, right? We discipline the disciple. The disciple is someone who is there to learn, who's there to to follow and, and change because of what we do. And so we do want to teach students as we um, implement our discipline, whatever that looks like and in whatever setting. So I yep. don't know... Um, before we started recording listeners will ask me if i was ready to solve the world's problems today and we ha- we had a really good laugh i don't think we solved any problems today but hopefully we provided some things to think about and if nothing else a, a measure of comfort because this is a problem and and no one is alone in struggling with it it's everywhere
0: they are okay jen so just for the sake of people that would like some um, <clears throat> tangible things to walk away with. I'm going to just refer back to a resource that I've leaned on many, many times. And that is um, in Harry Wong's first days of school. He reminds us that every kid, every day when they walk into school, asks seven questions, especially on the first day of school Am I in the right place? Number one, or am I supposed to sit? Like, where, where's my place in this room? Three, who's my teacher as a person? because that's important to learning. Four, will I be treated like a human being with dignity? Five, what are the rules and expectations in this place? Six, what am I going to be doing in this place? And seven, how will I be assessed, graded, or evaluated for my learning? If you just took those seven things, and determine that your classroom management was based on answering those questions in advance for kids before they walk in, you're on a pretty good path. Right. You're on a, you're on a pretty good path. Right. So, principal managers, listeners, I just want to encourage you um, and for the listener who sent that question, and thank you for your courage to admit that, man, this is a struggle for me. And, and <laughs> as I think about my leadership, it's going to be a struggle for me in leadership too. Be encouraged because you're asking the right questions. And you care deeply about student learning, and none of us ever gets this completely perfected, but we continue to grow in the way that we learn together. And, um, Jen, I would also apply those same seven questions to school-wide leadership, because every kid and every teacher that's walking in is asking, am I in the right place? What am I supposed to do here?
1: Well, as, as you read your seven questions, I could imagine a teacher asking that too. That's right. Of their, of their workplace. Who is my principal
0: as a person? Will they treat me with dignity? Right. What are the rules in this building? What will I be expected to be, to do and how are you going to evaluate me? Exactly. So, so principal, managed listeners, sometimes we make it too hard. So (laughs) let's Let's come back into the skin of our students, (gasps) see the school through their eyes, and then let's build the schools that they are looking for. Well, Jen, I hope that was helpful. Thank you for taking time to do this episode with me. Yeah, this is um, fun.
1: It's fun. It's hard, hard work, but I like thinking about it because I hope that what some of the thinking we put out into the universe helps someone.
0: It is well, listeners. um, This recording will probably come out sometime in March, and Jen and I announced the last time that we were together that we have the opportunity to present together at the ASCD National Conference in Denver at
1: Saturday. March what, what is, is the it? date? Is it March? Oh my goodness. We I'm gotta, gonna pull the, <laughs> I, I'm gonna nail this landing. I'm gonna tell you we are presenting on March 20. Oh my goodness, this is embarrassing. Is it March 31st? No, What's it's the date? April first. It's April 1st. We present. Oh my at, gosh. I'm yep. so
0: glad that we paused long enough to realize we're not presenting in March because March ends the day we fly in. Correct. We are presenting April on Fool's Day. April Fool's Day <laughs> 2023. So principal Matters listeners if here's the deal, if you, if there's anybody listening right now who is planning to go to the ASCD conference and you would like to connect with me or Jen while we're there, would you please send me an email at will at williamdparker.com because, oh, how much fun would that be, Jen, to connect with some of our friends that are listening. So until next time, thank you so much for doing what matters and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks everyone. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about leadership academies, mastermind offerings, and executive coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today, and thanks again for doing what matters.